everybody, and thank you for joining us for another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, where we're reviewing ASU's 24-21 win over Southern Utah in Kenny Dillingham's debut. I'm Ethan Tuttle, joined alongside Chris Cartman, Noah Furtado, and Jake Seymour. Folks, it was a wild game in week one. There was just a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay and at halftime. I want to get everyone's thoughts on this, but Jake, let's go ahead and start with you. What were your thoughts on uh, Arizona State's opening game? Yeah, Ethan, uh, obviously the headline of the night was the two-and-a-half-hour weather delay that occurred right after uh, halftime was supposed to resume with special teams units taking the field. Um, certainly, I know we kind of all talked about it on our own, but certainly someone that we've never seen uh, from uh, for ASU so far, um, just in general, that two-and-a-half-hour weather delay um, was quite different. Uh, and it's almost like the twilight once play resumed. Players were waiting at the gates, kind of uh, waiting to go back on. We could see them from the press box in the Tillman Tunnel, um, eager to get back onto the playing field. And then Finally, once they get back on, three hours after halftime began, uh, there was almost no one in the stadium. It was kind of quiet and kind of that twilight era um, for, uh, for for the fans uh, and ASU football to play. Yeah, Jake, recording this on Monday and earlier today at uh, Kenny Dillingham's weekly press conference, he said that some players had to do some homework while they were in Tillman's Tunnel kind of hanging out, uh, waiting. So Kenny Dillingham learning a little bit right there uh, on how to prepare for that in the weeks ahead. But Noah, let's kick it over to you. Uh, were you trying to get some homework done while you were up there hanging out in the press box? Because I know we had a long wait up there. No, actually. Um, homework was done before the game, uh, in my case. But as far as them transitioning from that very long break where you're taking on some some homework, that I, I saw some clips that they were you know, getting some food in their system while in the team cafeteria. They then were unable um, largely to to transition and get their head back into uh, the game for the second half. Uh, you know, it's really tough. You're, you're essentially playing two different games, you know, when you consider how, how much of a gap there was. Um, and, it's, and especially because fans aren't going to wait out, you know, or at least most of them didn't wait it out. Um, that also contributes to, you know, a lack of atmosphere that, Kenny Dillingham actually said today he was trying to overcompensate maybe for um, getting the offense in particular a little bit too amped up, leading to some of those penalties that he had harped on, you know, after the game and then again today. So regarding some of the other stuff with like season ticket holders getting two, two extra seats, I mean, it seemed like the students got two extra tickets somehow because that was the more dominant aspect um, of the crowd you know, in the first half and, you know, beyond that, there, there's just some, the things that are surrounding this program right now, it seemed to sort of hail over them even a little bit in the first half. It, it took them a little bit to, to get into the flow of the game. Um, and, you know, when there's always that momentum shift, uh, it allowed really Southern Utah to, to take advantage of, you know, that stoppage Um which after that, it, it was really tough. ASU was, was just about just trying to survive more than anything as opposed to actually thrive and compete as, as Kenny Dillingham is, is constantly trying to preach to them. Chris, what were your thoughts on the rhythm of the game and just some of your biggest takeaways from Arizona State's week one opener? Yeah, um, you realize on a night like that that you can never really cover or see everything that that has has happened like you're, you're always going to have new and different experiences when you're covering sports I, I went around 
during this break, we were informed that there needed to be no lightning observed um, within uh, eight miles for 30 minutes. So as we kept seeing lightning, every time it was extending another 30 minutes, right? And I went around asking people in the press box who have covered ASU a really long time, like Doug Tamaro has been working at ASU, I think, since 1993. And uh, Jeff Van Raphorst, who's on the, the, the broadcast for ASU, he was an ASU quarterback in the 80s for the Rose Bowl team. And then I asked uh, Tim Healy, who's been around ASU for many decades now, if they had experienced or seen anything like this before. And nobody had. And I certainly haven't in, in, in the time that I've followed ASU football. I remember 2004, I guess it was, when, when Iowa visited. There was maybe an hour or so delay at the beginning of the game because there was a, a pretty serious storms that, that went through the area. Uh, I think there was a USC game, might have been 2009 or uh, 11 or so, somewhere in there. There was a... Um, a little bit of a delay when ASU played USC. Uh, people may remember when ASU played at Texas Tech in Lubbock 2017. There was thunderstorms in the at the outset that maybe led to a 45-minute delay. But this was more than two and a half hours. And I just think that there's not really a way to prepare for that or understand what that's going to lead to or how long that's going to take or what is the best way to manage your players when you're in that, that sort of a situation. And... Uh, that creates challenges. And, and and also Kane Dillingham, he's trying to figure out his team, right? Like you don't know exactly what to do, what buttons to press, how to manage something that you completely weren't expecting and were never uh, planning for, which is a, such a massive delay that leads to you not retaking the field until 11 o'clock at night, right? So I think very clearly what we saw was ASU had one penalty in the first half, sharp offensively, Rashad at 12 to 16. He's connecting on throws. They're, they they had a good a good overall half. And then they seemed like they were almost uh, too amped up coming out of this break. I likened it to a kid when they're on Friday telling everybody about the slumber party that they're going to go to and how excited that they are to be going to go into this thing. And they're and they're so keyed up that by the time they get there after everybody has their pizza and sodas, they're like crashed over there in the corner on a couch and you miss all like the festivities, right? And I feel like that's almost kind of what happened is all these players came out, they're super juiced and they're bouncing behind the Tillman, Tillman statue and everything. And then they fly out and then it's like, wait a second, they commit penalties, they can't get lined up. Jaden Rashada, he was never like warmed up in the second half. It looked like a totally different quarterback. And you put all that together, and I just think that it it was a unusual to the extreme and unpredictable sort of a situation. And I guess really ASU fans probably came away from this thinking, okay, the team's not very good and they got a lot of problems and all that. Okay, but my view is, well, well let's see what happens. Because I think had there not been that huge delay, I think ASU would have won by 30-something points. And people would have felt a lot different and better about the about ASU going into Oklahoma State. So I think this is going to be a lot, of course, because it's a much tougher opponent and yet not an elite opponent. It's going to be a much better barometer for where ASU is at. And by the way, the barometer will change a lot less 
that it did uh, during Thursday night's game. Yeah, you mentioned Jaden Rashada. He went 18 for 31, 236 yards and two touchdowns to finish the game off. And Coach Kenny Dillingham, after Thursday's game, after a long delay, as we've already been talking about, he was mentioning Jaden Rashada's inability to get back into a rhythm. And we just kind of alluded to it right there. Just the team as a whole struggling to get back and, and find that rhythm offensively. So let's go ahead and break down um, the offensive side of the football now against that game against Southern Utah. Uh, Jake, we'll have you start us off. What were your biggest offensive takeaways in this 24-21 uh, narrow victory? Yeah, so my uh, biggest takeaways on the offense side of the football, um, it seemed like, especially you know earlier on in that first half, they were kind of uh, saved by the deep ball. Uh, we saw in that fourth and eight touchdown pass from Rashad to the Guillory uh, for 47 yards. Um, and they were obviously, I mean, that was kind of a go-for moment uh, for ASU. Um, but there wasn't a lot of moving the chains, kind of getting those short passes out, uh, which is kind of stuff we've talked about before, how you know that might not be a strength of this offense uh, with Rashad having those long extended drives, those 12, 14 play drives and just getting it out quickly. Um, and then, like kind of Chris said there in the second half, it kind of almost everything switched. It seemed like the offense kind of struggled uh, to get into its rhythm. They only had two drives that eclipsed five or, five or more plays um, in that second half. So really struggled to get into that rhythm coming out, which allowed Southern Utah to get back into the game and threaten to take the lead um, as the game progressed. Um, and then, of course, the left tackle position, which is something that we've kind of um, touched on uh, earlier in preseason camp. Bram Walden and Isaiah Glass have kind of been rotating at that position, um, and they continue to do that in their first game. So monitoring that throughout this week seems like that is still going on. Um, we'll monitor that this week and see um, how that develops ahead of uh, Oklahoma State. Yeah, no, what did you gauge from Jaden Rashad in his first collegiate start, not only on the deep ball, because a lot of people want to talk about that, but on, on the uh, other parts of being a quarterback as well, the leadership standpoint, uh, you know, the shorter throws, uh, and just handling the team as a whole throughout the course of the game. What are your thoughts on him? And uh, you can give some offensive takeaways as well. Rashada looked like he got into a very comfortable rhythm throughout that first half and look no further than the fade goal line fade touchdown pass he threw to Troy uh, Omiri while the dust storm is in full force. Um, I'm not even sure uh, a lot of the fans in the stadium were able to see that throw, uh, but from the press box, not really uh, in, in the midst of it, I could, and it was beautiful, had great touch on it. And I think you saw that shift, um, not only from Rashada, but just from the offense as a whole, when they came out of that two and a half hour break. Um, you see, when you see in the fourth quarter, how, how the ASU's offense goes to this I-formation, uh, utilizing the Carlos Brooks in some situations as a fullback ahead of Cameron Scadaboy and using those types of, uh, of sets to basically become a power running team on some of these short yardage situations on third downs. Um, that was the indication that, at least to me, they were just trying to, to grind it out. You know, I mean, they, they understood that Rashada at that point was not in, in the place to to where he was confident and, and in that same rhythm. And so, you know, you see them go through that. They get, I think, three of their four third down conversions in that quarter comes on run plays and two of them on handoffs to Brooks in that particular situation. So all of that wrapped together 
it, it was really, I think, a mixed bag of results when you're looking at Rashada and ASU's offense. And in that respect, you kind of expect that, right? It, you remove the two-and-a-half-hour weather, weather delay. Throughout the season, we're expecting to see ebbs and flows from Rashada. Um, and I think, you know, for ASU fans, if you want to try and take something away from it, um, you know, we're not going to – you know, reporters, fans, coaches, they're not expecting him to be perfect or spot on. And in that first half, he was as sharp as probably people could have expected him to be. Um, now, you can theorize whether or not that takes him through uh, to a second half that is similar, if it's a regular halftime, 15-minute break or not. But with, you know, what he flashed and then sort of the downsides of him coming out cold, uh, I think it sort of tempers expectations in that regard and allows him to, to come out and move forward um, looking, you know, to improve, I guess, upon uh, a game that was both good and bad. So it doesn't keep him too high or too low. He's sort of at a, a tempered point where he can work and improve from. Chris, what were your biggest takeaways out of week one for the offense? Uh, you've obviously been reporting on the team for a long time. Where did you kind of gauge this offense and where they're starting compared to maybe some of the teams in the past? Yeah, I would say um, the focal point for me was how they would perform at the point of attack in the running game and then from a pass protection standpoint. Like, football really comes down to what happens in the trenches still. You know, as much as everybody likes to talk about you know, explosive plays and, and touchdowns and passes and points and fantasy football and all this stuff, really it is a – it is a game that comes down to who wins at the point of attack. And I, I felt like that was very underwhelming for ASU's offensive line. They did not, they did not reset the line of scrimmage. They did not create big holes. Cameron Scadaboo is the type of running back who he's going to be able to get yards after contact, but he's not someone that you want to have need to take the ball laterally when there's no hole as it's designed to be on the, in between the tackles, as an example. And so far too many times he's getting the ball or DeCarlos Brooks is getting the ball and they aren't able to take it where it's designed to go. And when Southern Utah is the opponent, that is a, a team that should be getting manhandled basically, by ASU's offensive line and, and lead blockers. And that really didn't happen that much. And that is very problematic because we've also talked a lot about, given the youth that it has in Rashada, they're probably not going to have a whole bunch of ability to sustain drives on the strength of his arm. And so if you also can't run the ball in a dominant fashion, against the Southern Utah, that creates more challenges for you offensively. And I thought that there are a lot of questions that were raised about this performance from a physicality and execution standpoint at, at the point of attack. And then another thing is throughout August, we all questioned ASU's pass protection capability, particularly at tackle. And so Emmett Boley gave up a sack shouldn't give up a sack against an FCS opponent ever. Nobody should. 
it was just a white move and he didn't even really get his hands cleanly on someone. You had uh, Isaiah Glass have two holding penalties. And the, yes, uh, Rashada wasn't under duress significantly throughout the night, but he should have had completely clean pockets to operate from on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, yes, Southern Utah, they brought some pressures, but nothing that was really complex or exotic or full house. And so those those aspects, I think, were pretty problematic. Rashada, we're going to talk more about it here in the next segment, but um, very much a tale of two halves. Really good performance in the first half, 12 of 16. Things didn't really go well at all. You never get into a rhythm in the second half. Um, but I don't think that ASU should have needed him to have a very good performance to win this game in, in a blowout fashion and score more than 40-plus points. It was all these other areas that prevented that from happening. So, Chris, quick follow-up for you. What do you believe um, the chances are that the offensive line can have a real turnaround in the next week or two? How long is it going to take for them to shore up some of these issues uh, that you saw in week one? That's the problem is I don't think that there's going to be um, significant improvement. I think this is probably the weakest part of the, the team. Um, defensively, ASU had a couple guys that were out injured and or um, unable to play in the first half in the case of Will Schaefer, right? You had Anthony Cooper didn't play. CJ Fight didn't play. That's two of ASU's probably top four D tackles. So the sort of the question marks that exist with the defense, I think there's more things that can be changed moving forward just in terms of the personnel. They can't just like go put somebody else in on the offensive line. They're not going to end up with different or better combinations of players and the opponents are going to be tougher pretty almost universally. They're going to be tougher. And so you put all that together and I think that it lends itself to a belief that ASU is probably going to have a higher than, uh, uh, average number of three and outs. They're going to have uh, plenty of times when they're behind the chains. This game, they were behind the chains a lot, which led to them being 0 of 7 on third downs in the first three quarters. They only had that fourth and eight, I think it was. That was a touchdown to Guillory, which was a beautiful play. Uh, but we're probably going to see a need to hit on a lot more big shots, home runs in the passing game when they don't have running backs who are going to explode on you and 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 have you know uh you know touchdowns of 30 40 50 yards like that's not going to probably happen with this with these running backs and so it's going to come down a lot to how many big plays it is you can can uncork on a game-to-game basis probably in its passing attack and that's a lot to put on a freshman quarterback yeah a lot to put on a freshman quarterback that you need to Keep sure you protect, but let's go ahead and move on, Jake, and let's talk about Jaden Rashad a little bit more. We've talked about his stat line so far. He had three big-time throws, one of them to Xavier Guillory, as Chris just mentioned earlier, on a fourth and eight. That was a spectacular ball over everyone's head into the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, Jake, that was probably, in my opinion, his best play of the night. Uh, what were your thoughts and your biggest takeaways from Jaden Rashada's first start? Yeah, that first half, I think, was, you know, one of the better performances that you could have asked for from a true freshman quarterback uh, making his first collegiate, um, you know, debut. Uh, it was one of those 
things that you kind of watch and you said, you know, it goes 12 for 16 in the first half, three touchdowns, um, and it looked like the offense was moving. Um, and then, of course, that weather delay happens. They come out, um, and Rashada really struggled to get into rhythm. They were still trying to air it out, it looked like, um, and try and get him and help him kind of get into that. Um, and, you know, he kind of never really clicked again like he did in that first half. Uh, Dillingham said today that talked about maybe the players being overhyped. Um, you know, we could see them from the press box as they were, um, you know, resuming to play, getting eager to get onto the field. Um, so maybe that maybe had something to do, um, you know, with some of those uh, second half offensive struggles. Uh, but we even joked about it, too, from the press box. They were running a lot of I formation stuff, uh, which is something that we, we hadn't seen from them um, in practice. And that was something that they were trying to use, um, you know, chip away at the clock a little bit. Uh, but also, um, you know, keep the ball out of Southern Utah's uh, hands, too. And that really worked well for them in that final drive. They were able to milk down the clock um, and end up, you know, winning the game based off that uh, final drive. So. And then, Noah, what were your biggest takeaways from Jaden Rashada's first start? Well, I'll just add on. Obviously, I've talked about him a little bit to this point. Um, Rashada coming out in the second half. There were several throws. You mentioned the few that he had in the first half that were um, that looked good, looked sharp, showed off his arm talent. Um, and then he had a few, um, two, three different receivers. I think it was Bryce Pierre, Elijah Badger, and Xavier Guillory on vertical routes that he just missed. Like he led them out of bounds. Um, it was kind of like a whoa moment. It, it sort of um, allowed things to set in that this team wasn't you know, that, that unit in particular wasn't in a right mindset. They weren't really ready to play in that second half. And obviously you can look at his stat line, 18 for 31 to finish off uh, 58% completion rate after going 12 of 16 in the first half. Um, clearly we, we have established sort of the, the contrast, right, in, in his performance first half to second half. But I think another thing that you have to sort of keep in mind when you're talking about ASU's offense in that second half and Jaden Rashada at the helm of that is you are set up with a drive that starts at the opponent's six yard line and you end up kicking a 38 yard field goal. I think it came over the, um, from the announcer that it was a negative, it was a four play negative 14 yard drive. Um, you know, some of that had to do with glasses penalty that pulled back Scadabo's touchdown run um but but even so after that they weren't really able to recover and, and that was one of the things that i think really represented where that offense was at and subsequent to that you then see them go into the i formations that me and jacob sort of mentioned to try and shore up what they could in that moment to to play situational football and to essentially pull out a, a narrow three-point win so so for rashada i guess in, from from this point of view it's not all about the numbers. It's not all about making the big plays, but being in that sort of a, a close game situation so early on in his career with, with some of the challenges of having to overcome a two and a half hour weather delay, that is something that could certainly add to his experience. Jordan Clark had brought up during um, some of the post-game interviews, he, he along with, I think it was Rashada, as well as another ASU player, they were all taking inter uh, questions at the same time. And I think, a few had come at, at Jaden about some of the challenges and perhaps some of the struggles that were fresh in their minds right from the second half. And he basically just said, this is his first game. He came out here, you know, on his birthday, 20 years old, and, and you know, puts together enough to, to basically overcome 
what was, you know, what they were facing as a team and to pull out, you know, a, a debut win. So uh, you have to sort of take that all into account as well, as opposed to just what you see from him throw to throw, how, you know, he's processing some of these things mentally from situation to situation. How much does that do from a leadership standpoint for Rashada Noah? Um, you, you mentioned Jordan Clark talking after the game, but just his performance coming out of half and just continuing to grit things out in his first career start. Yeah, you, you know, Rashada right now, I think, comes off as, as more of, you know, quiet and, and to his work. Um, Dillingham had mentioned that, you know, when he was asked what kind of leader he is. Um, you know, he's a true freshman, so he's just he's still trying to settle in with the group. But uh, it's almost as if it's the best way for him to show that um, he can lead, that he can uh, have that C on his jersey at, at one point or another, um, is to essentially just work hard and and be, you know, get get more involved in, in terms of, you know, learning the offense and feeling more confident to make suggestions. He had, he had mentioned one of the practices that he was really impressed with was he was able to go up to a couple of receivers and say, hey, I think you maybe should do this this way or that way. You know, those are some of the behind the scenes stuff that we've been seeing gradually over time. And I think you'll only see that progress as he, you know, moves throughout this season. And if he continues here at ASU, that is something that is going to be a line, you know, uh, an arc for us to follow and monitor over time. Chris, did Jane Rashada's performance have any standouts to you? What was the shock? What was the surprise? And um, was there anything that you saw that you were kind of expecting to see in his first start? Uh, well, I, I didn't think that he was going to probably be as good in the first half as he was, and nor did I think he, would, he was going to be as not good in the second half as uh, turned out to be the case. Um, Southern Utah was in a lot of predictable looks, a lot of cover one, single high safety looks. ASU had a very good game plan for this. We saw it immediately when they um, – they hit uh, Melquan Stovall on that deep over. That was the same concept, actually, if you go back and watch it, the same type of concept that they later hit Guillory on. They had a deep over climb, I think, going the opposite direction. The whole point of this is, and then they had a um, an intermediate crosser. The whole point is to get to, to isolate and occupy that center field safety such that Either the, the deep over is going to be open or that vertical is going to be open. And the thing that we said throughout August is that really ASU only has one quarterback who's going to be able to hit on these type of vertical concepts against the cover one type of a look, which a lot of defenses are going to play cover one, cover three. And um, and the, the those balls were on the money. The, the, uh, the, First one was probably 40 to 45 yards in the air. That maybe could have been made by other quarterbacks on the team, but the way that it was in stride and, and the pacing of, of getting the ball there to prevent the safety from being able to get over was very impressive. Then you look at the Guillory one, definitely nobody on the team and probably nobody in the state of Arizona could have made that throw that Rashada made. And he has this, um, this gravitas almost on the big play concepts that – makes you feel like you almost like edge of your seat. Like what is this, what is this kid going to do next kind of a thing to, to Rashada in his big play capability. But I thought that he was overall accurate. He had one screen pass that was dangerous 
that if the defender had one more step on a break early, that might have been a pick six. Second half, he had a similar type of a thing that was incomplete. Either one of those, you know, the one of them was a conversion on the third down on a wheel route that Cameron Scadaboo ran that the defender was within a step of maybe picking off. So there's some things that you have to be very careful about. Jaden Rashada, he's got to be aware of defensive players on some of these screen concepts. And the decision-making I thought was quite good. Overall, there was no like unnecessary jeopardy throws down the field on first or second down. Things that we saw in spring ball, maybe even a little bit early on in preseason camp that then sort of kind of went away. But there was a night and day difference in his performance from the first half to the second half. We saw it almost right away. He had short-hopped Xavier Guillory. On a, on a throw where he was kind of moving out. Then he missed um, Bryce Pierre on a tight, on an H-back wheel release where he was behind the defense. That should have been a touchdown. Then he had another throw later on that was too far into the boundary where I think it was Guillory had stacked the corner. So that's three but very obvious big misses, two of which probably could have been touchdowns. So he – I never thought that he got warmed up in the second half. It felt like he, like he just didn't get his his body or 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 his rhythm, his arm or something kind of where it needed to be. Kane Dillingham, I thought did the the wise stage thing, which a lot of maybe thirty three year old coaches wouldn't do, which is he blamed himself. Right? I probably he's watching the film, going, "Golly, Jade Rashad, you got to make that throw. You can make that throw nine out of ten times." Right. But he's not going into a press conference saying that, is he? He's saying, I need to be better. I need to do things better. I need to figure out how we can be more successful. By the way, you didn't really hear that from the last coach that much at ASU either. Right. So I have been very impressed by the way that Kenny Dillingham has discussed his team in public and also the way that they put together a game plan for Rashada. That's why I said, if there was no halftime break that was two plus hours. It was a normal thing. I think Rashada comes out, he probably hit some of those throws. And ASU, we're talking about uh, instead of instead of Rashada having an 18 of 31 performance for 236 and two touchdowns, we're probably talking about 300 plus yards, at least three touchdowns. And everybody's going, oh crap, this kid's the real deal. And I still think that he is going to have a lot of freshman moments against better defense. Let's not mistake that whatsoever. But his talent is tremendous. And there, it hasn't been a quarterback, in my opinion, like him that I've seen at ASU since Andrew Walter. I, I, I go back to it. People, now that they saw this, they'll probably can relate. If you've been watching ASU football for 20 years or, or longer, Walter came off the bench to replace Jack Christensen at San Diego State. In 2002, ASU was trailing by three touchdowns. They, they're, they're, they're crowding the line of scrimmage. they got eight men boxes. They're playing single high, tight tight uh, um, uh, alignments. And Sean McDonald just roasts their DB. And Walter, ball's coming out of the sky like a moonshot. And he catches a touchdown, then another one. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's Andrew Walter's era at ASU. And we didn't have to get through a retro year, a, a, a retro freshman year, a sophomore year of Andrew Walter in the beginning to get to, to get to this in the case of Rashada. Dirt. So Jane Daniels, he was super impressive as a freshman. A lot of things were schemed a certain way, but he made a lot of improvisational plays with his feet and did special things that were unannounced plays. 
I think that that also maybe hurt him in the long run. And he didn't have the pocket presence, the ability to get through reads and do a lot of things that we already are seeing that Rashada kind of has, is going to be able to do as things progress. But people are going to have to be patient. This isn't going to be some great season. Uh, but we've talked about this. Uh, six of the seven years in the last 40 ASU seasons, six of the seven times that they won nine or more games, they had a second year or more starting quarterback. And so what we're doing, what we're seeing with Rashad is we're seeing the foundation, the setup for what can be something very special if they can retain him and build the right type of team and talent around him. What do you think he needs to shore up ahead of this next week against Oklahoma State? And what did Coach Kenny Dillingham have to say on that today, if anything? Well, it's just going to be a much tougher opponent. They're going to disguise their coverages better. The way that they're going to present looks is going to be less predictable. And the talent is going to be better and bigger and heavier at the point of attack, which is going to create more situations in which he can make mistakes. He can be baited into throwing the ball where he shouldn't prematurely. He can be rushed and try to get rid of it in the wrong place. He can throw that screen and somebody else has seen, oh, he has a tendency to, in, in this formation, in this concept, he's going to just try to get rid of the ball. Oh, I'm going to come downhill and try to get a pick six. So game management is the, very, is the most important thing. Making sure that you understand situations, that you're mentally focused going into every play, that you understand what you can't do and why you can't do it. And don't make big mistakes. Even if you end up having to punt, Oklahoma State doesn't have a very good defense. We'll talk about this a lot more in the next podcast. But uh, that, pardon me, they don't have a very good offense. We're going to talk about that a lot more in the next podcast. But they're probably not going to go hang 30-something, 40 points in Tempe on ASU. So the key thing for Rashada is don't make big mistakes and give yourself a chance as the game continues to unfold. Let's go ahead and switch it over to the defensive side of the ball, Jake, as we're going to come to you for an answer. What was your biggest takeaway from the defensive performance on Thursday's game? And also, were there any personnel surprises for you uh, that you were maybe weren't expecting originally? Yeah, there weren't any personnel surprises necessarily that, uh, you know, that kind of surprised me off the bat. Uh, but I think the, you know, Jordan Clark had a phenomenal game. I think he was one of the better players on the field for both sides against the game. He was making plays on the secondary. He had a really good pass breakup early on in the game. Um, and, you know, really, you know, we kind of talked about how Clark uh, is a leader on this team, but he really showed it um, with his, uh, you know, with his play on the field. And then, of course, you know, went to the press conference room afterward um, and shouted out uh, Jane Rashada, uh, kind of giving him the credit, um, you know, in that game and what he had to go through given the circumstance. Uh, but I think, you know, playing against a team like Southern Utah, you would have liked to have seen more turnovers um, or, you know, more turnover opportunities maybe uh, from the defense. And, uh, you know, granted there was, you know, on that same token, granted there's only 18 passes thrown by Southern Utah uh, in that game. You probably would have liked to have seen more sacks or at least more pressures onto the quarterback. We've talked about how great this pass rush has looked in preseason camp. Um, so, you know, only have two quarterback curries. Um, you know, maybe it was a little bit underwhelming for our in uh, our expectations so far. Um, but with that being said, the defense did get the stops when they were needed. They had back-to-back three and outs uh, to end Southern Utah's final two drives. Uh, which ultimately led to ASU's offense able to chew off the clock and eventually uh, leave off uh, something Utah any chance to get any more points. Yeah, I'd say that was the biggest surprise to me was the limited pass rush and how Arizona State seemed to be pretty stifled by the Thunderbirds getting into the backfield and getting to the quarterback. Noah, what were your biggest takeaways from this past Thursday's game on the defensive side of the ball? 
what, what most caught me off guard, I think, was there was a sequence of some miscues in the second half that basically made me rethink the defense's performance as a whole when compared to the first half. You had guys like D Ford, who's a, you know a smaller cornerback in the you know early stages of the first quarter, being extremely physical and making plays, making great tackles. Um, he, had, he had a couple really early on, and I think that set the tone for them, uh, for the most part, to really get uh, an energy going with, with that um, with that unit on that side of the ball. Then you come out in the second half and. Uh, I, re- I still remember the play. It was, it was in the third quarter, I'm sure. D Ford, that, that, same, that same guy, he, he comes and he lets basically a, I think it was a five-yard out route to one of Southern uh, Utah's wide receivers. That turns into a 68-yard reception. A 68-yard reception, and all the wide receiver did was cut in. Ford took a bad angle and essentially whiffed, uh, didn't, didn't touch him until he got down to – you know, inside the five yard line. Um, fortunately for him, you know, in that particular situation, it was taken back for a blindside block on Jordan Clark. I don't know if you, you guys remember that uh, kind of, kind of a questionable call um, probably hurt Southern Utah in that respect to be, you know, back all the way back past midfield um, as opposed to in the red zone, ready to score three or seven, uh, six points, excuse me. Um, but that seemed to, to have a trickle-down effect, um, at least for a little bit, because then you had uh, another big play for Southern Utah that wasn't brought back. Uh, Shamari Simmons missed an open field tackle, another one, and that led to a 52-yard gain that then set up a touchdown pass for Southern Utah. So there were lapses. There were lapses by that, by that unit. I think they shorted up ultimately in, in the fourth quarter when really the only score was that punt block uh, return touchdown. But there, there are certain things that, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, making mistakes leads to these big plays that are going to stand out to, to everyone, you know, after the game. It, it, it doesn't so much matter about, okay, you made a great play here, right? Stop them at the, at the line of scrimmage. That's good. But then it almost overshadows that to some extent when you have some of these uh, really egregious uh, miscues or mistakes. Um, th- those are some of the things that I think stood out to me in terms of, you know, trying to evaluate this defense so early on against an FCS offense, really. So I, I think there's more to be seen. Um, but again, really mixed bag of results and they had to be gritty. You know, they had to it had to come down to that fourth quarter and, and essentially making the plays they needed to, um, as opposed to, you know, in my, my mind, it didn't feel like a dominant force from start to finish. Chris, what were your thoughts on the defensive performance uh on, on Thursday. So we're not going to have a special team segment, but I think it's very important to point out here that Southern Utah had a block punt return for a touchdown, which was a third of its points in the game, right? And that happened because Chris Edmonds didn't get enough of a chip or a, uh, a block on the rusher before he released down the field and ASU's punter was rolling that direction. So that's a major that was a major mistake that happened in this game. If you if you if you put that aside and you then go okay, how well did ASU did? Well, Southern Utah had two red zone chances all game. 
two actual drives that were extended throughout the game. And both of those resulted in touchdowns. So that is kind of where the problem is. If, if ASU holds those to field goals or field goal attempts, right, and doesn't give up a block punt return for a touchdown, we're talking about a three-point performance, a six-point performance. You know, yes, it is true. They had the one called back that Noah talked about, but that was still a penalty and they called it okay. You know, that those kinds of things are going to happen in games. But I don't think that Southern Utah on like had a, a very good offensive performance against ASU. I, I think it was pretty – I think it was not very good, to be honest. Like they had 226 y- total yards from scrimmage. Like that's that's quite good. Probably every single opponent that ASU plays from here out will get more than that, right? I don't know for sure, but if you know if so, if ASU holds anybody to under two twenty five, that will be a phenomenal performance. So there there were there were some big mistakes. Like Jake mentioned, Jordan Clark. When I watched the game live, I thought he had a good performance too. He had multiple pass breakups. He was kind of everywhere. Really big energy, but he also gave up one of ASU's touchdowns. Because it was a six-man pressure, they were playing man coverage. He didn't cover his guy. His eyes were in the backfield on a on a conversion that 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 shouldn't have happened. So it was like a second and fifteen that they scored a touchdown on. Well, that's one of their two touchdowns that the ASU should have got a stop there. That should have been an incompletion. Then they should have had a field goal attempt there. And he made a mistake on the earlier in that same drive when he correctly uh, switched, called out a switch of the receiver that was his that responsibility between him and the other defensive back on his side on the third and four, but then he didn't cover the guy. So he had two mistakes in a row back-to-back that led to one of Southern Utah's touchdowns. And otherwise, he did have a very good performance, but those two plays is a big thing. Now, there's a lot of things that are challenging about playing Southern Utah like you don't, uh, you know, you're not like probably spending a whole bunch of time on doing your best to defend them versus putting in all the stuff that you want to put in, getting ready for Oklahoma State. Coaches aren't going to say that, but that's also kind of the truth. Is you're more focused on you and what you're trying to do and what you want to do in an opener. And then there's also like a bunch of things that you're not maybe trying to show in that game that you want to wait and show against Southern against Oklahoma State. So that's also a part of it. Right. Um, I mentioned earlier, ASU didn't have Cooper. ASU didn't have fight. We know that Clayton Smith got thrown out early. He's probably their best speed rusher. So that's a whole other factor that takes a guy off the table who might have gotten to the quarterback. They're getting the ball out so quickly that you're not going to probably get a lot of QB sacks or pressures. But if anything, if that could happen ever, you know, that's that's very plausible. So, um, you know, I, I would give the defensive performance overall about a B minus or a B, but I don't think it was that bad. And I think that this defense still has a chance to be pretty good on, on average in the conference. Let's hit our last segment and talk about what Arizona State's going to have to improve on as they continue to move ahead in the season. Jake, after the first week of play, what do you think Arizona State is going to have to continue to improve on as they move ahead? I think uh, obviously you know, the the main thing here is just seeing if they can get more of those um you know offensive players just to c- c- continue to move the chains a little bit um and not really um you know obviously the deep ball will reap its benefits when you're able to connect on that um but against some of the you know Pac-12 defenses that 
are really successful against some of those passing attacks, uh, being able to have a game where you're able to connect on some of those short and intermediate routes um, and not really just be fully reliant on that deep ball and have some layers to your offense. It'll be pretty important for this team uh, moving forward. No, going over to you, uh, quick thoughts on what Arizona State needs to get better at as they continue to move forward this season. Since Jake went offense, I think I'll go defense on this one. I, I'm curious personally to, to see what this defense pulls out, you know, to to challenge some of these other offenses that are going to be a lot more layered, that are going to be, you know, have more big play potential. Um, because Brian, Brian Ward had come out with very aggressive expectations about sacks, turnovers. I think it was 40 sacks, 30 turnovers. Right. And that ratio, that's that's very ambitious. Um, obviously, the circumstances we've explained to, to some extent, we've, we've explained away the, you know, the fact that they didn't have as much activity in, in you know, pressuring the quarterback, having sacks. And obviously, they didn't have any um, any takeaways. But as they move forward and they are able to essentially expand what they want to throw at opponents, that I think will be a better gauge for how that defense can be able to essentially cause havoc I, I don't know that you necessarily saw that in, in week one it was more of um, you know just, just letting the guys play maybe keeping them more in base and seeing what happens as opposed to like really showing your hand before you play opponents like Oklahoma State Fresno uh, Fresno State and then actually getting into conference play but that I think in particular was something that we didn't see that is still left to our imagination until you know the next games come up yeah, something I think Arizona State needs to improve on heavily is just establishing the run early in the game and, and trying to dominate in that facet. Of course, we've talked earlier about the offensive line and its struggles, so they're going to have to find a way and, and kind of innovate a way into uh, the end zone as far as getting on the ground goes. But, uh, Chris, let's go over to you really quick. What do you think Arizona State needs to continue improving on? Well, everything, but um, I, I think that – as I said earlier, Oklahoma State is going to be a much better indication of where ASU's at. Uh, they had they threw the ball forty eight times between three quarterbacks in their opener, and only scored twenty seven points against Central Arkansas. Uh, they didn't they didn't they ran the ball like decently, like not really better than ASU ran the ball um, against Southern Utah. I think that there's going to be more opportunities to generate turnovers and sacks in this game. And we need to see that like they're going to need to be able to Southern Utah again, like the, the nature of it and the way the game unfolded, it was a little bit weird, but Oklahoma state, if they're not getting pressures and sacks sometimes, and they're not forcing jeopardy throws and getting turnovers like that, that would be a very bad indication and they should not get gashed in the run game against Oklahoma State. Those two things are very, big, very important to, you know, sort of litmus tests for where ASU's at defensively. Um, Oklahoma State scored 27 points. Like, should Oklahoma State come into Tempe when it's going to be 105 degrees at kickoff and score 30 points in the game? No, I don't think so. Like, so I, I think that um, we're going to have to see ASU – Continue to demonstrate that it won't turn the ball over on offense. That's that's crucially important. And be able to not get so far behind the chains on first and second downs offensively. 
so that they can make it to more manageable third down conversions for Rashada that keeps the offense on the field a little bit more. So those are some of the things that I'm looking forward to seeing. I give ASU a lot of credit because we usually quite often that Herm era, especially uh, a lot of penalties, a lot of alignment issues, guys cramping, things that you go, oh, wait a second, they're not actually ready for the season. But on Thursday, they had one penalty in the first half. Guys got really lined up well formationally. They knew what they were supposed to be doing, where they were supposed to be at. Didn't see cramping, didn't see conditioning issues. So all of those things, I think, were very good signs for what can happen in the next game and beyond. And they're going to need it because they are, again, they're not going to be able to have the type of drive sustainment probably that's going to allow them to to have a a bigger, um, uh, um, you know, margin of error. I would say. Great stuff from the entire crew. Thanks, guys. And thanks to the audience once again for tuning in. That wraps it up for this time. We'll have an in-depth preview of Oklahoma State coming later this week to get you all prepared and ready. But until then, there will be plenty of content coming out on SunDevilSource.com, both on the website and on the YouTube page. So make sure to stay tuned for that. For Chris Cartman, Jake Seymour, Noah Furtado, and myself, we'll see you next time.